This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, a San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Dominic Vercasa, a City Hall reporter for the Chronicle. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Ann Stuhldreher. She's the director of the city's Financial Justice Project. Her job is to root out the pernicious fees and fines that have such a disproportionate impact on San Francisco's poorest people. Over the last two and a half years, Anne and her team have helped eliminate the fees that people on probation have to pay for their ankle monitors, lowering the cost of tow fees for low-income people, and abolishing overdue fees at the library. She and I will talk poverty and financial justice in San Francisco after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ann Stuhldreher, thank you so much uh, for being with us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. I, I want to just kind of start with uh, a bit of a quick overview about what the Financial Justice uh, Project is is all about and what it is. So I, I was doing a bit of research before our conversation today, and I found actually an op-ed in the Chronicle from uh, Treasurer Cisneros, where he said, kind of when, when this whole project coalesced in 2016, he had said that San Francisco had become a, quote, predatory government. Maybe you could just sort of start by explaining exactly what he meant by that. Right. Um, Again, thanks for having me here today. It's really fun and exciting to be here. So I remember that op-ed. Gosh, it's hard to believe it was about two and a half years ago when when that came out. You know, fines and fees have always been with us. They will always be part of government. Fines serve as consequences for when people break the rules Fees um, are used to recoup costs, but when those vastly exceed people's ability to pay them, they can become predatory. And nobody was really more surprised to learn about that than Treasurer Cisneros and myself. Um, As we started to look at various fines and fees at the local and state level, you know, we saw this pattern um, where so many of them had grown in size and severity. They really exceeded so many people's ability to pay them. And when you couldn't pay them, this cascade of consequences would set in. The finer fee could grow through late fees. Um, Your credit could be impacted if you couldn't pay it. Your driver's license suspended. Um, for inability to pay. And in some parts of California, people can even be jailed for non-payment. 
Um, so, you know, again, it just seemed like the consequence had grown, um, you know, so out of whack in comparison to the offense. And it did remind us a lot of predatory lending and, you know, some of the repercussions there. Yeah, that's, I think, one important thing to to emphasize before we get any further. And that's, it, it's not just the fine or fee itself. I mean, those those suck for everyone, right? But there are these disproportionate impacts on a subset of people in San Francisco where, like you said, there's a cascading effect, right? It's not it's not simply that it hurts the wallet. It is the fact that the people's lives can be uh, um, you know, severely impacted, whether it's losing their driver's license now, they can't get to work, or whether they're just getting out of jail and hit with fines for their probation ankle monitors. So it, it goes it goes much further, and I think that sort of speaks to the the importance of the project in some respect, right? Because nobody wants to pay a traffic ticket, but our ability to pay that traffic ticket has kind of wide-ranging consequences depending on your income level. Correct. No one, uh, no matter what your income level, likes uh, fines or fees or to pay a ticket. Um, At the Financial Justice Project, we're really focused on lower-income San Franciscans and San Franciscans of color who, you know, have been shown to bear, unfortunately, like a very disproportionate impact. Um, You know, like as an example, I first started thinking about this many years ago when I got a ticket uh, near my house. I did not come to a complete stop at a stop sign next to Dolores Park. Not an uncommon phenomenon. (laughs) And um, a lot of my neighbors had gotten this ticket, and I knew it was, you know, several hundred dollars. And at the time, I was helping then Mayor Gavin Newsom start kindergarten to college to automatically open college savings accounts for all kindergartners. And so I'd been looking at a lot of savings research And this study had just come out that showed that um, if Americans had to come up with $500 in emergency, that 60% of them simply couldn't do it, you know, through a credit card, borrowing from friends, you know, et cetera. And so I was looking at that ticket thinking, I know there are so many people who cannot pay this. And what happens when people cannot pay? And then several years later, you know, Ferguson happened where Michael Brown, a young, unarmed African-American man, was tragically shot and killed by the police. And the United States Department of Justice put out a report afterwards, and it found this pattern of intense ticketing in low-income African-American communities. And the tickets were really expensive, but for minor things like having your grass too high in your yard or driving with a broken taillight. And again, like when you couldn't pay, it would grow through late fees. Your driver's license would be suspended, which would make it very hard to get a job. Your credit could be impacted, which could, you know, make it hard to rent an apartment, also hard to get a job. People were jailed for non-payment, and it was the city's second largest source of revenue that year. And so I remember looking at that thinking, I really hope this is not happening in California and in San Francisco. But around that time, a coalition started called Debt-Free San Francisco, and a lot of community groups really started sounding the alarm on what they were seeing people getting handed this bill when they got out of jail that 
you know, for all these fees that they couldn't pay when they needed every penny they had, you know, just to find a place to live and take care of their family and get back on their feet. People getting their driver's license suspended, again, not for anything to do with dangerous driving, but for missing a, you know, a traffic court date or, you know, their inability to pay their traffic fines. Um, you know, the more we heard about this, the more it just seemed like surely we could do better. <laughs> you know, we could hold people accountable without putting them in financial distress and we could balance our books, you know, um, in ways that is not on the backs of the least fortunate people yeah, in these, our city. These fines or fees are hardly the kind of grease that keeps the wheels of city government turning, financially speaking, right? This is not – this is money effectively that the city – I guess m- m- the question I want to ask you related to that is uh, – how, how, how to put it exactly – I know that obviously the project has touched and, and is you know working on a lot of different aspects of these predatory fines and fees. The question I want to ask you is how in San Francisco things get that way. If I, I know there's probably no one common denominator, or maybe there is, and that's that's really what I want to ask. If there is a a common denominator that sort of uh, uh, makes these things happen, and I imagine a big part of it too is just inertia, right? Like this fine has been around for a long time, and until Ferguson, for goodness sake, or until some kind of revelatory thing happens in our in, in our own lives or in your life, we don't realize that it's there, right? It's sort of like a fish doesn't know it's swimming in water, right? It doesn't know what water is. So, I, I, so how did, how did these things come about in San Francisco? How did it get this way? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, you know, I think that sometimes in government we can be kind of buffered from what's really going on. And so oftentimes when community groups come to us or have come to me or others and start raising, you know, the fact that we were charging people $50 a month to be on probation, but since people are typically on probation for three years, we were handing them a bill for $1,800 right when they were getting out of jail. Um, A lot of people, you know, I think at City Hall did not realize that that was happening. And I think that, um, you know, what happens sometimes is people start tacking on these small fees, like $50 here, $150 for this pre-sentence report, $35 a day to rent your electronic ankle monitor. And maybe it seems small, but so many of these fees roll up to the same person (laughs) and they really can add up to thousands of dollars. And so, you know, one thing that was really effective when we were going around and talking to folks about this was just to show um, people the bills, you know, that someone would get. Um, when they were getting out of jail. And there were bill fees from the state, there were fees from the courts, there were fees, you know, from the um, from our locality. So, you know, I think that there have been many moments when, um, you know, and I, I should say, like, how we do our work is we really rely on 
you know, community groups um, and residents who kind of point out the fine and fee pain points. And then we kind of turn to, you know, different departments at the city and, you know, talk to them about what's going on and if there's some sort of doable solution. And, you know, a lot of times people, it's eye-opening, you know, the way these hip folks and the consequences when people can't pay them. And a lot of times the financial folks kind of are aware of what's going on, but, um, you know, sometimes others aren't. And, uh, you know, I think usually and often once people realize how these are affecting people, how they're not helping us achieve our goals in government, um, and how they may actually be thwarting those goals, people have been, you know, open to change in San Francisco. Well, that's heartening. I mean, so it, so it sounds it sounds like, again, they all come they, – the fees and fines have maybe different genesis stories, but a part of it does sound a little bit like the a common problem in city government everywhere, right, where the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand is doing or, or the left hand doesn't know about the fees – that it's, you know, imposing on people that the right hand is collecting, right? You know what I mean? That's, that's a very tortured metaphor there. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the courts don't always realize the impact that, they're, that, that these fines and fees are having, you know, in, in, in the aggregate. Mm-hmm. Would you say that? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that is fair. And I mean, I think that what has been gratifying in San Francisco is, you know, that once people do understand what's happening, they've been open to change. So like our San Francisco Superior Court, you know, after Ferguson happened and a report came out um, called uh, Not Just a Ferguson Problem that described how 4 million California adults had had their driver's license suspended for, you know, their inability to pay traffic fines. Um, You know, there was a lot of There were hearings. There was um, a lot of organizing by community groups. And the San Francisco Superior Court became the first in the country to – to stop doing that. Let's let's dive into that a little bit because mm-hmm. I want I want to talk about kind of the span of projects that that you've been involved in, but I think this might be let's zoom in on that one to sure. start with. It was pretty recent. That was only maybe a month ago at this point when that when that was announced. Let, let's talk about what it is. So, the Financial Justice Project um, was uh, um, you know, I think integral in getting the San Francisco Superior Court to and correct me where where I go wrong here. Uh, this was your story after all. But it got you guys got the San Francisco Superior Court in conjunction with other city departments to allow, I think it was about 88,000 uh, San Franciscans to um, apply to be eligible to get their driver's license back if they were – uh, if those licenses were suspended, again, like you said, not because of crazy driving but because they failed to show up for a traffic court date. That's right. So – And that did happen very recently. So our court was also the first to stop suspending um, licenses when people missed a traffic court date. Right. And that happened um, very recently. And, you know, that really came about because um, we, you know, have a meeting every month with community groups and court administrators where we sit around the table and um, talk about, like, what these – 
mainly legal service organizations are seeing, um, you know, with folks coming in to their offices with traffic tickets that they can't afford. And, um, you know, everyone around the table, the court administrators and these legal service groups um, agreed that, you know, missing a traffic court date had nothing to do with dangerous driving and everything to do with poverty. And if we were not going to suspend people's driver's licenses for failure to pay, we should not be suspending them for failure to appear. So the court, um, you know, had, had stopped doing that, which is great. Uh, then the community groups started asking, well, how many of these, you know, driver's licenses are still suspended for people who've missed court dates? And that's when we found out that um, they still had... 88,000 suspensions that were on file. That was kind of the um, backlog. The DMV. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, our courts are pretty financially strapped. And so they didn't have the money um, to pay their IT vendor to uh, clear them. And so that was when, you know, I went over to the mayor's budget office and, um, you know, started talking to them. And I think they were kind of stunned that we could, you know, for, gosh, I can't, was it $15,000, $20,000? It wasn't a big expense um, uh, relative to some, how much some other things cost. The city at budget's twelve point three billion this year, yeah, just, just for context. Yeah, so that, yeah. that puts it in, in pretty good context, um, and that we could, you know, lift this burden um, off of people. So that was really cool that that we could could make that happen. And you know, again, like we had been hearing from people who you know, wanted to drive with Lyft or Uber, and they couldn't. Um, again, not because of their driver's record, but because they couldn't pay their traffic tickets or had missed their, their traffic court date. And so, um, you know, again, it is just very hard to get a job if you don't have a valid driver's license. Um, about 40,000 people a month get their license suspended for missing a traffic court date in California. That's a lot of people. And they're not, in, in many cases, not coming to traffic court so that they don't get hit with the fees that they might be you know, yeah. subject to if they do show up. So they don't show, they lose their license, and the problems just compound. That's right. Yeah. So that was that was uh, not long ago, just a matter of weeks. But something even more recent, actually today, I believe we were talking uh, uh, offline a moment ago, uh, the Board of Supervisors approved a proposal that your, that the Financial Justice Project had helped kind of bring to life to have the library system do away with overdue, overdue fees, right? Can yes. you talk a little bit about that, if you would? Yeah. I mean, that was um, such an interesting one. Um, you know, the library uh, had approached us. They were considering getting um, rid of overdue library fines. Uh, this is, I didn't realize, a trend in libraries across the country. Uh, we interviewed, you know, libraries um, across the country that have, gosh, I think there's like 15 of them. There may be more at this point that had gotten rid of them. And it was so surprising, the interviews. People said things like, it's the best thing we ever did. 
Um, you know, these finds in San Francisco, you know, we did a lot of research and we found that they were, you know, locking people out of the library. About 5% of cardholders couldn't check out a book um, because of late fines uh, for, um, you know, and in the in the Bayview, I remember people were three times more likely to be locked out than in a lot of other libraries. And then um, we also found that they don't really work that well to encourage people to return books. And there's a lot of other things that work better, like sending more frequent reminders by text or by email. Like if there's not someone in line for your book, um, automatically renewing it. Uh, so all these other libraries had switched to those methods and they saw no decrease in circulation um, you know, whatsoever. And so, yeah, the Library Commission recommended this. Uh, we are now a late fine-free uh, library. And it was also exciting today because they wrote off, um, I think, about a million and a half dollars in outstanding debt from these library fines that was, you know, locking people out. Wrote it off, meaning they forgave it. They forgave yeah. it. That's right. Oh, that's very cool. Just a, a quick rundown, and I'm sure I, I won't capture everything that that you guys have announced since just 2016. Again, uh, and some of some of these you've mentioned as well. But eliminating administrative fees charged to people exiting jail in the criminal justice system, like for ankle monitors, for example, I believe. Um, another recent one, uh, you um, uh, you know researched and again helped uh, implement the policy or helped to recommend the policy change that would stop uh, the county jail system charging inmates to make phone calls and markups on jail commissary items. Um, we mentioned the driver's license reinstatements, um, uh, pushing the library system to do away with overdue fees, um, cutting fees to allow low-income people to pay off parking tickets and other traffic citations more easily, uh, lowering the cost of tow and boot fees for low-income people. I know the tow fees are sort of insane in San Francisco, so I can imagine that being a big help. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you're sort of working on right now, things that might not be you know, fully baked, but uh, some of the things that you guys are studying and are you know, considering as, as policy recommendations? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a busy uh, couple of months. <laughs> um, it's exciting. The, the National League of Cities is bringing a group of cities here next month to learn from what we're doing. And they have committed to taking on fines and fees in a uh, meaningful way. Uh, we, there are several bills in the California legislature, um, specifically the Families Over Fees Act, SB 144, which is authored by Holly Mitchell from Los Angeles, which would, again, eliminate these high-paying, low-gain fees that we charge people who are leaving jail. And you know, I do just want to be clear because I think a lot of times um, people misunderstand the difference between fines and fees. You know, fees are meant to recoup costs and fines are meant to, uh, you know, be punitive. Right. Um, so, you know, these fees that are charged to people who are, you know, in the criminal justice system, these are fees that are assessed on people who have already been punished in lots of ways. 
They have done time. They may be paying fines. They may be paying victim restitution. They are not meant to be punitive, but they end up, you know, um, adding another layer of punishment. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting. Um, I don't know if interesting was the right word. It was hard, actually, to see so many San Franciscans uh, come forward to testify about how just the burden of these fees. Um, You know, I remember talking to this one woman, Nicole, who lived in the Fillmore, and, you know, she worked at, I think, Target in the morning and was a home health care aide in the afternoon and was taking care of her two daughters. I think she made about $1,200 a month. And, you know, we were garnishing her wages I think about $300, and she'd been out of jail for 10 years. Um, She really wanted to become a, um, it was some sort of like a certified nursing assistant or an LVN. Um, And, you know, you couldn't, you can't get a license like that um, until you've, you know, paid this stuff off. So again, an example where these, these government fines and fees are standing in the way of people's ability to better themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. One thing that is going to come out um, next month that I'm really excited about is the Urban Institute has done a study uh, of our child support debt relief pilot. And, um, you know, this is one where when I was first starting as director of the Financial Justice Project, people would come up to me and say, can you please do something about child support debt? And I would think, why? You know, like, I don't, we don't want to take money away from kids. And they'd say, oh, no, that's the problem. When I pay it, it doesn't go to my kids. It goes to pay back the government. And I didn't understand this. (laughs) And um, in California, um, when low-income parents make child support payments, the majority of what they pay goes to pay back the government for the cost of public assistance, usually um, used by the mother for things like Medi-Cal or TANF um, welfare. So in California, 70% of outstanding child support debt is actually owed to the government. It's not owed to the spouse and the the kid. And so in California, only the first $50 of your payment goes to your kids and the rest goes to government. So we started hearing all these stories of, you know, say like a, someone who runs a job training program, they would place a young man um, into a construction job and he would get his first paycheck. And then 65% of it would be garnished, which is what child support is allowed to do. And uh, at first he would think, okay, um, at least it's going to my kids. Then he would hear from the mother (laughs) that actually only $50 was going and the rest was going to pay back public assistance. You know, what often happens is people get discouraged. Um, They're not seeing much of their paychecks, so they start working off the books And then when this public assistance payback debt goes unpaid, um, 
In California, we charge one of the highest interest rates in the country. We charge 10 percent interest. Uh, on we, this debt, on this yes, child support debt. Yes, okay. that's owed the public assistance payback debt that's My owed God. to the government. Uh, we suspend people's driver's licenses, uh, their professional licenses. You can't get a passport. Um, and in most counties in California, not San Francisco, uh, you can be jailed for non-payment. The vast majority of people in the child support system in California and San Francisco, you know, earn less than $10,000 a year. This is, we're talking about very, very um, low-income folks. And so we have been thinking like, okay, what can we do about this? And thank goodness we have a um, very forward-thinking uh, child support department um, in San Francisco run by a woman named Karen Roy. And she had an idea, you know, if we could pay back this child support debt, this public assistance payback debt that is owed to the government, and these fathers knew that every penny of what they paid was going to their kids, I bet we would see parents paying more and paying on time. Um, and so we raised a bunch of philanthropic money <laughs> from um, places like uh, uh, the Walter and Elise Haas Senior Fund. We also partnered with Tipping Point on this, and we paid off the public assistance payback debt of about, I think it was 32 fathers. Um, and you know, so what's being released next month is this report on like, so what happened? Wow. <laughs> And, uh, you know, what we've heard so far is that these fathers are – it's worked. They are paying – they're making on-time payments. They are paying more. Um, and that when people know their child support payment is going to their kids, they will pay it. Um, the Urban Institute was out here and did focus groups with some of these fathers and – you know, I was talking to them afterwards and they talked about this one father who was living in his car um, because he couldn't afford rent. Um, his child support payment was $700 uh, a month. But, you know, again, only $50, I believe, of that would go through to his kid. Uh, he, you know, couldn't pay, get into an apartment because his credit was shot. Um, after this pilot, um, he was able to get into an apartment. His credit score went up a couple hundred points. He was able to get his driver's license back so he could start, you know, driving for Uber or Lyft. And, um, you know, again, this is just like, what are we accomplishing yeah. <laughs> uh, with this? Not and much I just, good. Yeah, yeah. And I just really believe that when a parent makes a child support payment, 100% of that should go to their child. So we're hoping this study um, creates some momentum for some bills uh, that are advancing um, in the in the legislature. Oh, right on. Well, I'll look forward to that next month to be sure. Um, I guess in closing, you had said before that, you know, you rely on community groups and community input to sort of steer the project, right? To, to tell you guys what, you know, because I sure as hell hadn't heard about child support debt before. You know what I mean? So exactly. you need to know what's 
meeting people where they are and knowing what the pain points are. So we'll put perhaps um, some contact information in the show notes to let people know how they can get a hold of you if they've got you know, a bright idea. Yes. The last question I wanted to ask you, though, is uh, the project seems very ambitious and it's been successful, but I want to ask you if there's kind of a white whale for you out there. Is there a fine or a fee that is a, uh, uh, you know, a, a major goal that might be particularly thorny to tackle or, or problematic for any number of reasons? Is there a big one that you you know, have, have thought about since you've been director that you'd like to, to take on someday? That's a great question. I mean, I'm very proud of the work we've done with the MTA to uh, cut towing fees in half for people who are at 200% of the poverty level or below. That's about $50,000 for a family of four. But I still think we have more to do in that space. And, you know, I think there's going to be there's going to continue to be a lot of dialogue on that. Well, the fact that you don't have a white whale necessarily means that kind of anything is possible. So that's a, a heartening way to to close out. Yeah, that's that's right. And again, um, unfortunately, you know, we keep hearing from folks. Right. Um, There's no shortage. Yeah. That's right. So um, that's really what guides us is, uh, you know, if something's having a negative impact in, in the community. Well, Anne, Anne Stooldreyer, thank you so much. Director of the San Francisco Financial Justice Project, housed, of course, within the Treasurer's Office. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Anne for being on the show, and thank you for listening. We'll see you around City Hall. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fercasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Have questions or tips? Email hnight at sfchronicle.com or find me on Twitter at hnightsf. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.